you open your Bibles with me to Luke chapter 1? Luke chapter 1. And we'll begin at verse 26 in our study this morning. Uh, we had friends, Jack and Jean, who um, after the birth of their first daughter had always anticipated they'd have more children. And as years passed by, year by year, there were still no more children. Finally, they came to the place, uh, realized they probably have no more children. And so years went by and things progressed and all, and their firstborn finally became about 16 years old. And they were making their plans for her future and plans for their future. And Jack owned his own business and what was that going to look like down the roads and all, and what kind of travel they could take and all. And Jean got a little sick. And I remember she gets sick, and we talk with her, and I jokingly say, I think you're pregnant, and she said, I'm not pregnant. And I remember the day she went to go see her doctor, and she stopped by my study afterwards, and she sat down, and I said, well, how are you doing? She said, well, I just went to the doctor. I said, really, what'd you find out? She said, I'm pregnant. And I said, oh, and then she started crying. And she said, it's twins. You know, there's something about when the impossible seems to happen to us, that we somehow become a little anxious, a little fearful. Isn't it true when things become uncertain of what's going to happen in the future? We're really not sure how to handle that. Become overwhelmed, creates fears for us, uncertainties. We get anxious. We've all faced something of that kind, where somehow something's occurred that just seems it's impossible for us to handle. And the question is, how do we respond when we face the impossible? How do we respond when all of a sudden this uncertain event happens to us? And we're not sure what the future is going to look like. Well, as we come to our passage this morning, we'll talk about that. But, but before we get to the passage, there's two things we have to understand. We have two characters that show up in this story. They're going to carry on a dialogue together, but we have to know who they are before we even let them start talking. Now, the first one is Gabriel. Now, Gabriel's an angel. There's only two angels in the Bible ever mentioned by name. One has that wonderful name of? Thank you. <laughs> and the other one is Gabriel. And Gabriel only shows up four times in the Bible. Twice in the book of Daniel, Daniel 8 and Daniel 9, both times to speak to Daniel, both about judgment. And Daniel 9, he deals with the 70 weeks and the future of the Messiah when he comes. The third time he shows up is Luke chapter 1, just before Mary. And he speaks to Zechariah, and he's a high priest in the city of Jerusalem. And Gabriel speaks to him about the future of his son, John the Baptist, who will be the forerunner of the Messiah. And now we have the fourth time he speaks, and that's to Mary. And he's going to speak again about the Messiah. Now the second person we have to understand is who Mary is. Now I need help for this this morning. And let me assure the young people, I have nothing to embarrass you by, but I need your help to understand this passage. So if you are 13 to 16 years of age, I'd ask you to stand up. Okay? Now, stay standing, because this is important, because this is going to create the emotion of this story. Mary, Mary was 13 to 16 years of age. 
So those who are standing, this is a story about you. This is just as if Gabriel came and spoke to you. For the adults in the room, I want you to look at these young people and realize this is who the story's about. This is the age of Mary. This is when Gabriel comes. This is the life that they're living, the circumstances they're going to face. Thank you, you may be seated. Hopefully I didn't embarrass you too much. <laughs> now we come to the story. Now we know who Gabriel is. We know who Mary is. And the story takes place. Luke chapter 1, verse 26. And we get this gracious greeting by Gabriel. Here's what it reads. In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to the city of Galilee named Nazareth. You're saying the sixth month of what? Chapter 1 introduces us to Zechariah and Elizabeth, who are going to have a baby named John. Six months later, after that announcement, now comes the announcement to Mary. In the city of Nazareth. Nazareth's a small town. They assume or talk about the population just being about 400 people. Zacharias lives in Jerusalem, big population, great city of the nation of Israel. Mary's from this little, small town of Nazareth. About 400 people. That's about how many people are here on a Sunday morning in all of our services. That's about the size of the town. Angel comes along to a virgin, betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David. And the virgin's name was Mary. And he came to her and said, Greetings, O favored one, the Lord is with you. That's a very gracious greeting. Uh, this idea of greeting is actually uh, grace to you, O one of grace. And God's assuring her of who she is. And catch that phrase, the Lord is with you. He's identifying this young woman that somehow Gabriel wants her to understand that she's got a place where God has not abandoned her, not forgotten her, but is with her. It's going to become important. Because it all appears that Mary also does not have parents that we're aware of, doesn't have any siblings that she goes to, because when she gets her announcement of this, she goes to stay with a cousin named Elizabeth, and not with family, not with a mother, not with a sister, not with a brother, but a cousin. And the Lord announces, or Gabriel announces, the Lord is with you. What a gracious greeting. Gracious greeting of the Lord being with her, of anticipating something to happen. But here's Mary's pondering response. But she was greatly troubled at the saying and tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be. Now the troubling, I think, is partly there's an angel. And all of a sudden, whoa, here's this angel speaking to me. But it doesn't say she's troubled by the angel. She's troubled by what the words are. And the words seem to be very gracious and kind. The Lord is with you. But somehow she's uncertain what this really means. It's the uncertainty of, is this a positive thing? Or is this a negative thing? Is it going to be good news? Or it be bad news? You understand how this works. When all of a sudden your spouse says, we need to talk. <laughs> hmm. Or your parents said, to you, hey, 
I want to talk to you tonight. He goes, hmm. Or your boss says, hey, I need to see you today. He's going, hmm. Is this good news? Is this bad news? When somebody of authority comes and says, I want to talk to you, the emotions, the uncertainty that we start working with. And notice what it says of her. What does she do with this? It says she was trying to discern what sort of greeting it might be as she was troubled with what it is. And as she's troubled, she's pondering on this. Let me check here a second. Do you guys have pondering in your text? You do? In 29. Yes. Somehow I missed it in mine. And she's pondering. The word pondering is the idea she's thinking about, she's confused, uncertain, just trying to figure out what's going on with everything. And as she's pondering this, she's thinking through, what is this greeting about? What does he want me to do? What's going to take place? Is it good news? Is it bad news? And then the angel speaks. And what he announces to her is an impossible child. Here's what I mean by that. Listen to what he says. The angel said to her, do not be afraid, Mary, for if you found favor with God, and behold, you shall conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David. He will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and his kingdom there will have no end. Here's the announcement. Mary, you're going to have this child. This child that you're going to have is going to be the Messiah. What is he really going to do? What does it really look like and how will he function? And listen to the description of this. Just imagine you are her, 13 to 16 years of age, in the small town of Nazareth, trying to figure out why an angel would come and speak to you. And he identifies, here's what your child will be like. You're going to call his name Jesus, which means Jesus or God saves. Second, he will be great. He will be called the son of the most high. That's identifying his relationship to God on high. You're going to have a son, and this son is going to be like God of who you have. He continues with her. Lord God will give him, give to him the throne of his father David. So now we're talking about a king. The king David, who reigned in the Israel, you're a descendant of that. He will be the king over Israel, just like King David. And he will reign over the house, how long? Forever. His king will have no end. You're going to have a son who's going to be here for eternity. You're going to have a son that is somehow different than any other son on this earth. This son is so unique that he is going to be God in the flesh. And as she hears this announcement, she realizes she's going to have this impossible, this impossible child. This child who is so different from any other child. I mean, think about it. You're anticipating the birth of your child and you're going to have a perfect child. You're going to have God in the flesh. What would that be like in your home? A child that does nothing wrong. A child that never sins. That somehow to correct you all the time you were to sin. Just imagine the raising of this child, the growing up of Jesus in your home. 
aren't you glad he was not your older brother? You know, you just never liked Jesus. I know. And that's your son. He's going to have this impossible child that is different than all other children. We know later what happens when he's 12 years old. He's up in Jerusalem. He comes and he starts teaching the rabbis. He's an unusual child. He's the impossible child. How do you manage this child? And Mary listens and hears who this child will be. And it's going to be this impossible child. And she responds. She responds with an inquiring question. Verse 36, and Mary said to the angel, how will this be since I'm a virgin? Mary, you're going to have a child. And she listens to the whole thing. She knows she's betrothed to Joseph. That means that she's engaged. Betrothal in the New Testament time was one a little more serious than our engagement. It was actually you were considered married, but you don't live together. Betrothal is a serious period of time. And if for some reason, as we learned last week, if you discovered your spouse was with child, you can divorce them quietly, but it's still a divorce. Mary's aware that she's being instructed that she who is a virgin, which means she's never had any sexual relationship, is somehow going to become pregnant. And she's asked a serious question. How can I, who's never known a man, have a child and much less a child, this child that you described that's this impossible Messiah who will be the King of kings and Lord of lords, this one who's like the Most High. How can I have a child like that? And then the angel speaks again. And he talks about this impossible pregnancy. And he gives a description of how this will come about. Here's what he says. The angel answered her, the Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. He gives a description. Now we're not told how this actually takes place except there's this overshadowing. This word overshadowing is also used when the transfiguration takes place of Jesus. When he's up on the mount, with Peter, James, and John. And all of a sudden, it says, he was overshadowed, and they saw him as he truly was. It somehow exposed a more intimate relationship with God, and now that God said, this is my beloved son. And some of this overshadowing is God's way of bring, engaging in a more intimate way in the world we live in. And it's given a description of somehow that pregnancy will come about through this overshadowing of the Holy Spirit. And that somehow with the Spirit working alongside with Mary will produce a child. And that identifies through the Spirit, he will be God. Through Mary, he'll be man. And we talk about Jesus Christ being the God-man. Philippians 2 goes in much more detail about that, but that's who he is. He's all God, he's all man. This becomes critical to our understanding of how we can have forgiveness of sin, that one can sacrifice themselves on a cross, and by being God, he's infinite, and he can pay the price for infinite number of people with just one death of a man, Christ Jesus. And so it describes what will take place here. It goes on, though, and says, And behold, your relative Elizabeth, in her old age, has also conceived a son, and this is the sixth month with her, who, is, who was also called barren. 
for nothing will be impossible with God. And he assures her, he said, I'll give you assurance that what I'm saying is true. You can check with your cousin Elizabeth. You will find out she is six months pregnant. You also know that she was told she'd never have kids. She's been barren her whole life. And in her old age, she's actually born, is bearing a child. And that will come about. Now it's interesting here, what we're talking about is a virgin birth. We say it so quickly today that we need to stop and pause to understand what that really is. Luke is a physician. He's recording this story. He's interviewed Mary probably several times, listened to her description of it, and this is how he records it for us to understand what it is. This is a medical doctor who understands what pregnancy looks like, what conception looks like, understands what birthing a child looks like, and is describing for us and affirming there was something different about this birth, different about this conception. This is a virgin who conceived and in that conception produced this child from a virgin birth. The virgin birth is an important doctrine of the church. In the early church, the first council that was held was in Acts 15, the Jerusalem Council. There was not another council held until 3,000, not 3,000, 325 AD. It's called the Council of Nicaea. It brought together when, uh, when Constant the Great, or the First, determined he wanted to bring all the churches together. As history tells us, it seems that he made a profession of faith as the emperor of Rome. He gave freedom now to the Christian faith and all, brought them together for this council. At this council, they created the Nicene Creed. Here's the Nicene Creed. Let me show it to you. Now, if you grew up in a liturgical church, um, Catholic church, Lutheran or something, you probably recited this periodically on a Sunday. There are churches all around the world today that are actually reciting these words. I want you to just hear these words written in 325 AD. And the reason I want you to see it is the importance of the virgin birth. I mean, what is happening here, this impossible pregnancy is a critical doctrine for the church of Jesus Christ. It's a critical doctrine for us to believe, so much so that this first council that sits down to talk about who Jesus Christ is, make sure they put in there the virgin birth. Here's what it says. We believe in one Lord Jesus Christ, the only, only Son of God, eternally begotten of the Father, God from God, light from light, true God from true God, begotten, not made, of one being with the Father. That's his deity. Now here's his humanity. Through him all things were made. For us men and for our salvation, he came down from heaven by the power of the Holy Spirit. He became incarnate of the Virgin Mary and was made man. That's the incarnation. That's exactly what happens here. And Luke's brief description of it here gets clarified in 325 AD for us. And churches historically have always affirmed the virgin birth. Now this is not typical for us as a church to do recitation together. But some of us from a tradition where we did this. So I'm going to have us read this together, okay? More of an affirmation that this is what we do believe. Okay, so let's read this together. We believe in one Lord Jesus Christ, the only Son of God, eternally begotten of the Father, 
God from God, light from light, true God from true God, begotten, not made of one, being with the Father. Through him all things were made. For us men and for our salvation, he came down from heaven. By the power of the Holy Spirit, he became incarnate of the Virgin Mary and was made man. Amen. That's the virgin birth. And I took this time to assure you because Luke makes a point of this. It's foundational to our understanding of the incarnation. It makes Jesus Christ both God and man, and as one they come together and provides the forgiveness of our sin because he could pay the penalty as man and extend that forgiveness by being God who is infinite with his shed blood. And Luke makes sure we understand the virgin birth. And that's an impossible pregnancy. And Mary's listening. And when he comes, she realizes there's something going on here. And he says, listen, you're going to have an impossible child. Who could ever imagine you're going to have this child? And he's going to come through an impossible pregnancy. And the angel assures her, with God, all things are possible. So it will occur. And let me assure you, just like your cousin Elizabeth became pregnant, so you too can become pregnant, even as a virgin. And now we have Mary's submissive response to all that has been said. Keep in mind, she's single. She's not, she's betrothed, but she's alone. Small town, about 400 people. No one else around. Angel speaks. She listens. Hears all that he says. Here's her response. And Mary said, Behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. Mary heard what the will of God was. As impossible as it sounded. She hears what the will of God is. She doesn't contemplate very long. She seems to understand exactly what it means. She describes now her relationships as she sees it with God. I am his servant. And as a servant of God, my response is to do what? The will of God. There's a sense that she finds herself submitting to his will. Not sure how it'll come about. Not sure why she was chosen. But with this impossible birth, this impossible child, this impossible pregnancy, her response is to submit to the will of God. I mean, to think about that somehow when we encounter impossible situations, we encounter impossible circumstances, we have no idea how we're going to deal with it or what to do next. That if we would be like Mary, we find ourselves submitting to the will of God. And at the same time, she was one who pondered it, who thought about it, but somehow she found herself saying, I need to live within the will of God. And in that acceptance, it's the idea of the understand what the will of God is to live like he wants us to live in a righteous way. Why? Because he protected her. He cared for her. He was concerned for her. He was with her. Therefore, she could trust him in an impossible situation. But when we encounter impossible circumstances, 
When we encounter what we consider the impossible, what God's looking for us to do is say, you know, Lord, I'll submit to your will of what you want me to do. It doesn't make life easy. Here you've got this 13 to 16-year-old girl who finds herself coming out pregnant and having to deal with what everybody thought about her. Imagine as she, all of a sudden, that pregnancy started to show. And all she could say is, I'm betrothed to Joseph. And what do people think about her? And we know the future, the suffering she's going to do with the death of her own son on the cross. And to know the life of following the will of God does not mean that we will come out being happy with the circumstances. But we follow the will of God. There's often times where we suffer. And there's pain. And there's loss. And it's the will of God. Now we all face impossible circumstances. They all weigh upon us in different ways. Many of you may, may have been like a Mary you know, and pregnancy. Pregnancy is what you wanted. And somehow God chose not to give you children. Or maybe it was the one where you got pregnant and it's not what you wanted. And then you found you were unmarried and you truly didn't want it. And you're dealing with circumstance just like Mary with that sense of pregnancy, the desire for children, the desire not to have a child. And it's impossible circumstance that you find yourself submitting to the will of God. <clears throat> you know, you may be a young person and all of a sudden you find yourself going to a new school. That's not what you planned for. Somehow your parents brought you somewhere and dropped you in. It's not what you dreamt about. It seems impossible to start a new school. You're a senior in high school. And the only question anybody knows how to ask you is, what are you going to do when you graduate? And you don't know. And it's hard making that decision. And the pressure you feel, and it seems like an impossible circumstance we need to submit to the will of God or you're graduating from college and everybody's asking now what are you going to do now and he's like I don't know and you don't want to work at McDonald's but they're hiring <laughs> you know it's an impossible circumstance you find yourself submitting to the will of God you find yourself at a new church Why? You got hurt at your other church. You're not sure what to do and how to connect. Because you want to get hurt again. And it's an impossible circumstance. What do I do? And it's like, you need to submit to the will of God. And then we have our health. We wrestle with our health issues. And all of a sudden, it's like you've got even your vaccine and vaccinated, and you got your booster, and you get COVID. And all of a sudden, things aren't going well. It's like, you know, what happens when you're uncertain or you go to the doctor and you get the diagnosis or somehow there's a complication in a surgery or somehow it didn't go the way it was supposed to do and now you're uncertain what the future is. And with that impossible circumstance, 
Do you find yourself submitting to the will of God? We find ourselves always being confronted by the impossible. We prayed for those believers and unbelievers in those cities, those states, where a tornado went through this past week. And we all know how we cannot control the weather. Whether it's a blizzard, a tornado, a hurricane, an earthquake, the damage and all that it does, it's impossible to know that's going to happen, yet God calls us to what? To submit to the will of God. Each one of us finds ourselves wrestling with something, somehow dealing with issues, somehow dealing with things that are impossible in our life. You have a relationship. It can be your marriage. Man, it's just gotten to where it is just rubbing against each other and it is just hard. And as I say these things, this is not, I'm not saying don't get counsel. I'm not saying in all these circumstances not to talk to other people. I'm not saying you just ignore it and submit. I'm just saying be a Mary who ponders, considers, but then in the process understand here's the will of God. Not to break it apart, but to put it together. And how do we submit to the will of God to make those relationships work? And they're hard. They're hard. Somehow, in the life we live, we are constantly facing impossible circumstances. And things that we don't have an answer for, we're not sure how it's going to take place, we're not sure what the next thing will be. And we need to be like a Mary who finds herself submitting to the will of God of what he wants. And in submitting to that will, it means we live righteously in that. It means we do the right thing. It means we live in a godly way. It means that we control our tongue. It means we build relations. We are forgiving. We're loving. We demonstrate those things as we follow the will of God. Even though we may be suffering and struggles that come with it. God takes this young woman, Mary, 13 to 16 years of age, holds her up for us to look at and say, boy, when she encountered an impossible situation, she submitted to the will of God. Boy, can we not do the same? Your impossible situation, can you submit to the will of God? Philip Brooks was a pastor in Philadelphia. As a pastor in Philadelphia, when he was 30 years of age, he decided he needed a break from ministry, and his church was for him, and they sent him off to Israel. When he got over to Israel, he spent a whole time there, and actually he got out on uh, Christmas Eve. He was able to ride horseback up where the shepherds had been out in the field. And the next day, he went to Bethlehem, and he attended a five-hour service from 10 o'clock at night till 3 a.m. in the morning to celebrate the birth of Christ. Came back to Philadelphia and uh, was there another three years pastoring. And he came to his last year. He wasn't a poet, but he liked to write things periodically. It was his last year at his church. He got a call to a church in Boston. It was his last year in Philadelphia. It was Christmas time of December, 1868. And he sat down and started thinking about that little town of Bethlehem. And he wrote these words. O little town of Bethlehem, how still we see thee lie. A 
Above the deep and dreamless sleep, the silent stars go by. Yet in that dark street shineth the everlasting light, the hopes and fears of all the years are met in thee tonight. What are your hopes? What are your fears? What are your uncertainties about the impossible circumstance, situation that you're facing right now? What is it that you are looking at and saying, God, I don't know, I don't know if I can go on doing this. That creates the anxiety, the fear. But God is saying to you, you need to submit to his will. You need to trust his will. You need to trust his way. You need to live like Christ would want you to live. You need to live as a follower of Christ when you encounter those impossible situations. Let's close in prayer. Hey, Lord, I bring my brothers and sisters before you as we all encounter difficult and impossible situations. And Lord, for each one of us, let us be like a Mary who not only ponders our circumstances in a good way, but find ourselves responding in obedience as a servant to do your will. It's in Christ's name we pray, amen. Now, when we talk about doing that will, when we talk about this gospel, the birth of Christ, it leads us right into communion. Communion is where we come along and we start reflecting on not just the incarnation of Christ, but that actual crucifixion of Christ, that atonement, that substitution of his death on the cross and his resurrection. It lets us affirm our faith in Christ is what communion is. You may find yourself saying that impossible situation for you is that you realize you don't know Christ and you need to trust in him as your personal savior. When you hear of what Mary did, you need to do in your own walk of faith and trust in Christ. Recognize that you're a sinner. That Christ has died on the cross for your sins, was raised on the third day, and you believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. And by doing that, you become a follower of Christ. Your sins are forgiven. And we celebrate that weekly with communion where we have this cup, this juice, and this bread that we share together, reminding what Christ has done for us and giving thanks for that forgiveness that we have through him. Now, if you're with us today and you're a follower of Christ, we invite you to partake. If you don't know Christ, we ask you not to because you're actually proclaiming just by taking of this. You're proclaiming that you're a follower of Christ and you believe the Lord Jesus Christ, your sins are forgiven. We ask you not to partake. Now we're going to go to a time of silence and preparation. Maybe it's time to trust in Christ. Maybe give thanks for your salvation. Maybe to commit that impossible thing you're facing to him that you know that you're going to submit to the will of God. And then we're going to stand together and sing. And when we do that, we have cups in the back here. We got them by the, the two uh, pillars on my right and our left. And you can uh, get one if you need one at that time. But let's go to silent prayer in preparation for our communion. <laughs>